This is football. I'm Kevin Clark. Albert Breer joins us in one second to go through some of the big storylines in the NFL. Really enjoyed this conversation with Albert. Touched on briefly the Frank Reich firing and what it means for the Panthers. I want to expand on that here because I haven't done an episode since Frank Reich was fired. The hiring made sense. The firing made sense. The firing made sense now. I don't necessarily view one-and-done coaches as some serious fatal flaw. I think it should probably happen more often. Um, there are so many instances I know of guys, and there's an old adage about players, where you don't know if you have a superstar in rookie minicamp you know, a week after a guy's drafted, but you know if you have a bust. You know if a guy just cannot do it. And... Frank Reich was not going to do it in Carolina. He wasn't going to fit the description of the job. This is not Indianapolis. This is not taking over a normal NFL franchise. The Panthers are a different franchise. Um, this was not going to work. And so it is embarrassing that Frank Reich didn't get as many games as Urban Meyer. It is embarrassing that Frank Reich won fewer games than Urban Meyer and had worse statistical ranks on both sides of the ball than Urban Meyer. That's not good. Urban Meyer is the Mendoza line of coaching. And if you do not cross that threshold, you had a catastrophically bad tenure in that city. But one and done head coaches, I think, typically, and I don't really think, like, I think Pete Carroll had a one and done before I was even watching football, before I even knew what football was. Um, but typically, you know what you got. A great example, San Francisco did two one and dones in a row. Jim Tomsula, Chip Kelly. And then they nail Kyle Shanahan because you understand what you have and you understand to move on from mistakes immediately. And typically one and dones are massive mistakes. It, the only reason that Hackett level mistake, that's when you move on from one and done. I think it should happen more often. Um, I think that especially when you have a young quarterback, especially when you have a young quarterback, geography is destiny in football with quarterbacks in particular. And I think you give Bryce Young every single chance to succeed because I do not believe, I've seen statistical ranks that he was like 411th out of the last 411 quarterbacks who played in the NFL. I do not believe he's the worst quarterback to play in the NFL. He's getting failed by the guys around him. He's being failed by an offensive line that's just getting him teed off on. Um, you have to, to get some credibility in that building, fix the situation, fix the roster, and also move on from the GM. And then get Bryce Young in a situation where we can show any improvement. It doesn't take much to improve Bryce Young and then be a quarterback guru who makes a ton of money and gets and gets a ton of credit. That's why it's an interesting job, is you don't have to make Bryce Young that much better for it, for it to look like you're a quarterback genius. So the point I'm going to make here is that not only should there probably be more one-and-dones when you automatically know this guy's not gelling with the building, this guy's not going to maximize the, the person I max I, I hired to maximize. And that could be either side of the ball. It doesn't have to be a quarterback. It could be, hey, we wanted to fix the defense that we hired if it's a head coach. Oh, by the way, we're 32nd in EPA per play, and we give up more explosives than anybody. By the way, there's a coach out there who was hired as a defensive coach and has never had a good defense. Could be anybody. I'm just speaking generalities, of course. Wink, wink. Um, but what I would do is fire coaches as soon as it's clear. And it's funny because there was a coach 
who got fired a few years ago. And the owner said, the reason I'm firing him is because I wanted to start the search and it was unfair to keep the guy around. I thought that was a pretty good model. That owner was David Tepper and the coach was Ron Rivera. Think about it all the time. It was a favor. It was almost saying it was a favor to Ron Rivera to fire him. But I kind of think that's right to the franchise. And you're in Washington now. Why wouldn't you want to see? You know Ron Rivera is gone at the end of the year. You're not gaining class points. Nobody's saying oh, that Josh Harris is real classy. Nobody cares. And you're not, you want as many games as possible with Eric Bieniemy as head coach to see what you have. That's not an evaluation period just for the coach. It's also for the players. What does Sam Howell look like if Ron Rivera is not interfering at all with the offense? What if, if meetings are streamlined? Stuff like that. Let's see what that looks like because you have decisions to make on a guy like that. What are the different guys you have to make a decision on, whether that's in free agency, fifth-year options, all that stuff? What do those guys look like under a different head coach? Let's just see it because I know what it looks like with Ron Rivera. Ron Rivera's been playing the same game every week for three years, four years. Brandon Staley, same deal. Why not give Kellen Moore the opportunity, cut bait with Brandon Staley right now? I understand the span of somebody doesn't want to spend extra money. Maybe keep Kellen Moore in his office, don't hire movers, okay? Maybe that, that's the solution. But I want to see what a guy like Quentin Johnson looks like. He's an absolute disappointment over the first 12 weeks of the season. Let's see what it looks like under Kellen Moore, offensive head coach. Let's see. I mean, there was a thing on NBC a couple weeks ago in the postgame. I don't know if you guys saw it, where it was Sunday night. And Dungey and, and Rodney Harrison, this wasn't the last game. This was the, the previous Sunday night game. Dungey and Harrison were talking about basically picking up a lack of confidence in the entire organization, talking to people at the beginning of the game on the field and them saying, oh, I don't know. And, and, and both of them said that starts with the head coach. Head coach instills confidence in everybody in the organization, not just the players, but position coaches, strength coaches, PR team. Whatever. Everybody, if the coach is confident, it flows through there. I've seen it. I've seen some confident-ass teams. And the Chargers are not one of them. I would cut bait with someone like Staley immediately and see what it looks like with a new regime. Because you got a lot of players you have to make decisions on. And you got you have a lot of players, especially if you're going to cut bait with a GM, which I think is might be a toss-up depending on the contract situation. I think a lot of fans want the Telesco era to end. Um, the contracts get really hairy in the next couple of years. We had Brad Spielberg on in a couple a couple weeks ago. Talk about that. But you want to see these guys in a different light. And I don't think owners do it enough. I think that when you have the guy, just let him do his job. I, I'm a, I'm of a, the exact opposite of the one and done philosophy when you know you have a guy. And I, I do think it's pretty obvious. And I said this before, and I don't want to sound like a, a broken record here, but when you go into a facility that is winning or about to win, you can tell. Everything makes sense. It's not a, it's, I, I think we bleep out curse words here. It's not a crap show. So I'll say that so we don't have to bleep out anything. These are on the producers. But when that happens, you just let those guys do their jobs. That's Pittsburgh. That's Kansas City. That was New England for 20 years and now it's not. But when you have the opposite of that, you move on immediately. And so it's embarrassing and a temporary hit that Frank Wright got fired, but it was the right decision. It wasn't going to work. David Tepper was never going to see anything that that calmed his fears and said, let's give Frank Wright another year. It was all and but and that's the true in Washington. 
and it should be true in Los Angeles. That's why I'm in favor of the early firing. Let's get to Albert Breer. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, use the code OMAHAFULL and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great. You keep those winnings. But if you lose, you get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and up only. Offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 wager only. Must wager with eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager return only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Hannah's New Orleans. Maine, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-888-427-426-2537 or West Virginia. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. All right, Albert Breer, Sports Illustrated, one of my favorite people in sports journalism, one of the best Writers, uh, guy who generates more news than just about anybody in his columns on a weekly basis. What's going on, brother? Hey, what's happening, Kevin? What? Uh, I, I hate weather talk, but I, it is so cold in New York. It must be even worse in Boston. I, I yeah. just I, this is not even me trying to make conversation with the weather. It's just me declaring that I hate the Northeast. So we're putting an addition on our house, and no what? Like I, 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 this is all new to me, right? All, all of it's new to me, and. So part of it is digging the foundation. Yeah. And um, so they dug the foundation last week. And it's like really interesting how deep it goes. Like all this different stuff that you see that you would never know. And so what, but what it means is there's these gigantic piles of dirt all over our yard, right? Like just gigantic, massive piles of dirt from where they dug. And that dirt is literally like frozen. Oh, now. Jesus. You have so- frozen <laughs> hot mounds that's of my, dirt. That's my, that, that's my, that's my like, that that's the best like illustration I can give you of like how cold it is here right now. Well, frozen. It's not even December yet. Frozen. Mounds. I think we're gonna pay for last year. Like that's the yeah. way it works. Like last year was very mild. Last year was not bad. Like that's the way it works. Like we're gonna pay for last year this year. And if people think I'm gonna go for an easy joke and segue from frozen mounds of dirt to Patriots talk, I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna wait for the Patriots talk a little <laughs> bit later. I want to start. You wrote a column the yeah. other day about Frank Reich and his firing. And I, I did my monologue on, on Frank Reich and how I think sometimes it's best, even though you don't want to end up as an owner on the embarrassing list of, you know, d- didn't even make it to 
Urban Meyer's 13 games. He had less wins than Urban Meyer in, in his that tenure. That was bananas, wasn't that, it? That was, that was bananas. Um, but you don't want to end up on that list, but sometimes you just know something's not going to work, and it just didn't seem like everything was, was aligned there. Um, here's the question. I think there's some perception out there that nobody wants to work for David Tepper. I -hmm. disagree as long as the contract, like remember a couple of years ago, there was a report that David Culley uh, didn't get paid out that much. Like if the downside is if you fail, you get $35 million, people out there would take that kind of deal. Um, This job is what in relation to the other jobs in this market? It's a different job, I know. I would say there are two things you want to look at here. First, like the idea that nobody's going to take any NFL job right. is, is ridiculous. Like that's that doesn't exist. There are 32 of them. Someone's going to take it. And they'll be able to find somebody decent. I think it hurts David Tepper in two ways, like this churning through coaches. Um, you know, the first way is if there's a guy there's competition for. And that would be like Ben Johnson, who, you know, I, I talked to somebody pretty high up with one of these organizations the other day who said to me, he thinks there's two coaches that are assured of getting jobs on the market um, in 2024. And it's Ben Johnson and Bill Belichick. And so, um, which is kind of crazy, right? Like, but, but like, I I think that's where it hurts you is that if there's competition for a coach and a coach has options and remember how many of those are there every year, like two or three tops, right. They have like legitimate, like multiple offers that can go multiple places. So Maybe you lose out on that guy, the guy who has options. And that could be Ben Johnson this year, which would suck for Carolina because they really liked him last year. Um, Then the second piece of it is the contract. And it's not just about luring a guy. It's also about sending a message to your players, to everybody in your organization, that you're empowering the guy who you're hiring. And it makes me think back to what the Niners did in 2017, mm-hmm. right? Like when the Niners had churned through, now they had the, obviously the bad relationship with Jim Harbaugh and that breaks off. And then they promote Jim Tom Sula and that lasts a year. They hired Chip Kelly that last year. They, they fired Trent Baalke. They look like a complete dumpster fire. And this was like, what, four years after they'd been in the Super Bowl. And Jed York gave six-year deals, which at the time was like, I mean, borderline unprecedented for a new coach, a new GM, to Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. And it wasn't just to lure those guys. It's not like John Lynch had like five GM offers. That that came out of nowhere. And Kyle was like a good coaching prospect, but there wasn't a feeding frenzy to hire him. As much as anything, it was a message to everyone in the organization that we're going to give these guys time. And you better listen to these guys because this isn't going to be one of these situations where we just have, oh, you, you can just wait the guy out. And he's yeah. going to be gone in six months. And so I think that those are the two things that um, where this where this could affect, you know, how David Tepper has to handle um, the next couple of months in pursuing and hiring a new coach, maybe a new general manager. We'll see is, you know, one, it could hurt him with a guy who has options. And two, it is going to probably affect the way they have to write the contract for the new guys. Yeah, and and I completely agree that everybody's like, oh, no, one's going to want a job. Someone's going to want an NFL job because, first of all, and I've heard people make this one before. In order to mm-hmm. even get to this level, you have to have a very healthy ego about how you coach football. Because you know what yeah. you would do if you didn't have a football ego? You'd be in the your Texas hometown coaching tight ends for your high school. That's well, what you'd be doing. It's not even that. It's not even just that, though, Kevin. Like, I remember – having a conversation with a couple of guys who, um, you know, I'm in a couple of these text groups and I was on a, I'm a text group with a couple of guys who are, you know, relatively high up scouts. And, um, you know, they were talking about how, 
like for he's like for a lot of us, our goal is just to get the GM job. Yeah. He's like, you know, then you see what happens. Maybe it works, it maybe it doesn't. But like, you know, that could that that's twenty million dollars. Right. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Like, and like, <clears throat> there's a practical piece to this too. Where I mean, what's an entry level coach getting now? Like a thirty or forty million dollars? Yeah. Like that sets your family up for a long time to come, you know? And so just getting to that mountaintop, like, yes, there's like the professional and, and every one of these guys is super competitive and believes in themselves as a coach, but they also know like a zillion things can go wrong. You could have injuries in the wrong year and wind up getting fired. You could pick the wrong quarterback and wind up getting fired. So much of this stuff, you know, can be based on chance. And so just the ability to get one, and then there's the other thing, which is like waiting, right? Like, like think about like how quickly guys' names lose steam, yeah. you know? And that can happen very fast. If you don't strike while the iron's hot, like there's real risk to that. Like I think um, Raheem Morris is a great example of yeah. that. I would have told you two years ago when the Rams won the Super Bowl, yeah, he's going to get a job. Are we sure he's going to get another shot? And this is a guy who I think would be excellent in a second shot, yeah. but he's a defensive coach, right? The Rams aren't winning anymore. Right. Is someone going to hire him? You know, in an environment when 60 or 70% of the owners every year that are hiring coaches decide ahead of time, I'm not hiring somebody on defense, yep. right? Like, so I think there's a lot of things that go into all of these. Two things. When Matt Rule got fired and he took the Nebraska job, I had people in my mention saying, why would Matt Rule do anything other than move to the Bahamas and just hang out? And I said, because if he plays his cards right, he'll get another $40 million for getting fired from Nebraska. That's there's there, It's possible to live two dreams at once and get get $80 million for not coaching football or best case scenario is you save Nebraska. The thing with the Carolina job that we haven't even brought up is that they have something to work with the quarterback. And Bryce Young has played so poorly that any mm. improvement can be seen as quarterback whisperer guru type stuff. And, and like what we saw with golf with McVay a couple of years oh, ago, yeah. like I think the, the bar is so low that just making him look competent, which he will once the offensive line is cleaned up, I think it's going to be a huge step forward. Um, all right. Yeah. Go ahead. I'd agree. I'd agree. I think like that, the, that was exactly what I was going to bring up was the golf thing. It's like the, the attractiveness in the job, like really does depend on what you think of Bryce young. Right. Right. Like, cause he's really, I mean, maybe a icky Kwanu, but like, how many guys there are building blocks? Like right. Brian Burns in a contract here. Derek Brown's going to be going into one. And JC Horn's been hurt. Like I, I don't know. Like I think like you have to look at this and say, you know, it really the attractiveness of that job like rides on two things. Like what you think of the idea of working with David Tepper, and then what you think of Bryce Young. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can take this anywhere you want because you've profiled a bunch of teams in the last two weeks, whether that's the Packers, the Lions, whomever. The most intriguing team in the NFL to you is who? Um, I really – I'm interested to see what happens with the Packers yeah. because, I mean, against two pretty good teams, right? Now the Chargers record is what it is, but they beat the Chargers and they beat the Lions. I think we can agree the Lions are one of the best teams yep. in the NFC. And – I just one thing that's so interesting about the Packers is like yes, there's like the formula that they've used at quarterback that they're rebooting now with Jordan Love, um, and there's evidence. You know, if you go back and you look at Aaron Rodgers' first 24 starts, yeah. um, you know, in Green Bay, they were 10 and 14, right? Like, and then it really took off in his second year as a starter, which was his fifth year as a pro, and we're still a year away from being there with Jordan Love. Jordan Love is like some of the stuff we saw against the Lions looks sustainable. You know what I mean? Like, looks like real quarterbacking. And I, I think the other thing that's interesting about them 
is they've got this group of skill position players that is like sort of like growing up with Jordan Love. Like those aren't that's not Randall Cobb and right. Devontae Adams and Robert Tunyon. Like youngest offense like in football Rodgers. by like two years. Yeah, it's like it's 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 Christian Watson, it's Romeo Dobbs, it's Jaden Reed, it's Luke Musgrave, it's Tucker Craft. Like it's these guys that are growing up with him. Now I think like a lot of it is gonna ride on what happens with their offensive line and like guys like Rashid Walker, who like is like losing David back back Tiari was a massive, massive blow for them. But if they can keep growing on offense, like I think their defense is they get healthier as they get Jair Alexander back and Darnell Savage back and all those guys back. Like their defense has a chance. There's like real horses on defense there. You know, like Rashawn Gary is one of the best defensive players in football. Kenny Clark's a pro. Devontae Campbell, when he comes back, is a good player. Preston Smith, like so. I think the Packers are that team where it's like if they can just get in, like they'll be get they'll they'll get in like at a point where they're ascending. So they're one that's like I don't think enough people are paying attention to that I think is really interesting right now. The one that I'm fascinated to see in the playoffs is Baltimore. Yes. I, I just think like they new coordinators on both sides of the ball. John Harbaugh's rebooted that thing with you know Mike McDonald on offense and Todd Munkin on or Mike McDonald on defense and Todd Munkin on offense and um they look like fast and talented all over the place and Lamar is playing really well and so I'm really interested to see what this version of the Ravens looks like in the AFC playoffs are they the top contender right now to to Kansas City I mean I think it's probably them in Jacksonville right like which we wouldn't have said before the year can you explain this Denver thing to me this is unbelievable and I keep looking at it and I keep like I Obviously, they give up 70 points. It was funny because somebody brought this up the other day. Would we think about the entire journey of Denver differently if they'd given up 35 mm-hmm. points to the Dolphins and lost by, by you know, 20 points than if they gave up 70? Like, was the, was the 70 and that singular breakdown just so significant that we just wrote off the entire franchise this year? I think there is part of that because teams just don't give up 70. Yeah. But the improvement they've had on defense, the improvement Russell Wilson's had every single week, I, I don't want to overstate this, but them being six and five from where they were at the beginning of the season, and maybe we shouldn't have uh, have, have mm-hmm. so quickly dismissed one of the best quarterbacks coaches in the history of football in Sean Payton. But like this is bordering on a football miracle, Albert. I would say, you know, I had a great conversation with Justin Simmons about this. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, like Justin, so obviously he's, you know, sort of the veteran leader yeah. of that defense now. Seen with, a lot of bad football. You know, got, yeah, like with guys like Von Miller and Bradley Chubb gone. And like, so um, it was really, I asked him about VJ and he had the background of having played for VJ when he was the head coach, you know, a few years ago. And, um, you know, I asked him about like what kind of kept them locked in after that, because that's the sort of debacle where you can lose a team if you're a coach, right? And there were a lot of people calling for Vance Joseph's head. And he said, like, I had a belief in him because I played for him before. And he's like, and I think the rest of the guys got to believe in him because he told them the truth. And the day, a couple of days after they lost that game in Miami, they watched a bunch of clips of all of their bad plays from the Miami game, right? Like all the bad stuff. And then he showed a bunch of clips of the good stuff. Mm. And he kind of showed them like, and I know it sounds like a hokey football thing, but his, his whole thing was like, who do we want to be, mm-hmm. you know? And if you look at it, this is an amazing thing. I looked this up and I was blown away by it. Nobody was really talking about it a few weeks ago, but there was like a five or six week stretch where they were improving in yards allowed and points allowed every week, like week over week, every week they got better. 
And, um, you know, I think Sean Payton deserves a lot more credit than we're giving him for because, you know, at a time when no one would have thought like their formula would be run game and defense, you know, and shortening the game and playing. When they hired Sean Payton, nobody would have thought that. When Miami scored 70 points on them, nobody would have thought that. But I think Sean was patient with Vance Joseph. He was patient with the roster. He was patient with the formula. And, you know, it's sort of reflective of the kind of training camp they had where they, it was a really tough training camp. Like I know when I talked to Sean about it, he compared it to like the first training camp the Saints had in Mississippi. And you can't do training camp that way, right? Like the way you did in 2006. He does his Parcells impression about training camp. There's no light in the tunnel. Don't even look. Don't even look for the light in the tunnel. He does a very good Parcells. It's all this stuff though. Like, and it's like, you know, I think when you have experience on your coaching staff, like we all look for like the next great thing, the next young guy. Right. And I do think like one of the things that the, that staff had was there was a lot of experience in that staff. Like Joe Lombardi's coached for, and and we can say what we want about him as a coordinator, but he's coached for Sean Payton forever. Vance Joseph has been in leadership roles in the league for a bunch of different Mm -hmm. teams, you know? And so I think like having the experience of having gone through it and having the faith that it was eventually going to work even after that Miami game. Um, I think they deserve credit for it. And I think Sean Payton deserves credit too. in that like, this is so different than his formula in new Orleans, mm-hmm. right? It's so different than the way that they won in new Orleans. And um, you know, I think that that that's a real credit to Sean for like looking at Russell Wilson and not thinking this can't work. Yeah. Like this guy's broken. It's like, no, Like, let's get him involved in the run game. Let's limit what he does a little bit. Let's get him making scramble plays again. And let's see what we have. And I think, I think right now, Sean Payton's getting the most out of his roster because they had a plan. They understood what they had on the roster and they stuck with the plan, even when things looked really, really horrible in September. All right. So you had a, um, a column about Kyler the other day. And I think that's that's another situation that is playing out completely differently than we thought because there are reports now yep. that he loves the new regime. Everybody's getting along. He's obviously playing well. Mm-hmm. That team is playing well, uh, better than we thought. They're not going to get a top two pick, top three pick, um, and they might end up getting a good enough pick to get a great skill guy, a great offensive side of the ball guy, and then all of a sudden they're, they're in, in prime position, right? Well, unless Marvin Harrison goes back to school. Unless Mar is that is that are, are there are the collectives <laughs> working on that? Um no, yeah. and so that um I loved when he said he's undecided after the game. I loved that. Yeah, just uh, just you know, we just got just gotta go through the process. Maybe maybe he can check with scouts to see if he would uh he would be a day one pick. Yeah, I don't know if he's got his paperwork yeah. back from the uh, from the board. Yeah, there. exactly, exactly. Um maybe we get a senior bowl invite, one of those all-star games. Um, but it, it kind of speaks to something that so I thought there was going to be a lot more quarterback movement this winter. And the reason I thought that, or this spring, the reason I thought that was I thought Kyler would get replaced by Drake Mayer, Caleb Williams. Not going to happen. I thought there'd be a healthy Kirk Cousins who would at least um, start a bidding war, whether or not to go back to, to Minnesota or go somewhere else. He would have a massive market because, as you know, coaches love Kirk Cousins. Like coaches, there's yeah. so many coaches in the Shanahan tree who are like, God, wish a player like that you know like who can just just make the throws yeah. fire in those blind throws they, they love that stuff um is there a quarterback movement story you're watching right now that maybe has emerged sure. over the past couple of weeks or months i would say well um so the one thing that's so interesting about uh, just on kyler um you know like i i think what's fascinating about kyler's situation 
he until this year basically played in the same offense. He's play, played in the same offense since high school. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like so, like going from you know Allen High School in Dallas to um, to Texas A&M um, under Kevin Sumlin to um, to to obviously Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley and then uh, and then Arizona with Cliff Kingsbury. It was always like this air raid offense, and this is the first time he's had to like really change and like again like I've talked to their coaches who said he really dove into it like he really was excited about learning something new and you know what's fascinating about his situation to me is he's got a chance to play them out of one of the top two picks right like and then you sort of look at the context of his contract and trying to get out of his contract a little bit differently I wouldn't rule out that they off that they wind up offloading him but I would say like he's got a chance to really materially affect that I I think what's going to be really interesting, Kevin, is the fate of the 2021 draft class mm. and what happens to all of those guys, except for obviously taking Trevor Lawrence out of it. He probably becomes much, much wealthier <laughs> this offseason, right? Um, but the other, the other guys who were, who were taken in the first round, what becomes of those four guys, right? And so... Um, you know, you'd assume Trey Lance would maybe get another, you know, developmental year in Dallas behind Dak, right? Like, so like that's probably the way that one plays out. What happens to Zach Wilson? What happens to Mac Jones? What happens to Justin Fields? Like, I, I think all of these, those situations are interesting because there's something there. And then, you know, you sort of look at Baker, you know, Baker Mayfield and like he's played pretty well for Tampa, you know, like, and he's been a bunch of different places. And so I just think that there's all of these like highly drafted quarterbacks that kind of got thrown out the door. And in part because their teams took like all, all, like the opposite approach right. of what we just talked about with the Packers, with Jordan love and like, is, is, are any of those guys salvageable, right? Like, is there one of those guys who we're going to be talking about in three or four years, like Geno Smith, right? Like where it's like, that guy was just in a bad situation. And that guy's a competent starting quarterback in the NFL. Like, <clears throat> like to me, like that's what's so interesting about where we're going with so many of these guys is like, you know, we've so many of these guys, so many of the quarterbacks have been through so many different coaches and it's coordinator changes, it's head coach changes, it's general manager changes. It's like these guys get four years in and they played for three different guys. And, you know, I, I just think there's like a nature versus nurture thing there 100%. where is there something with one of these guys that can be mined? You know, is there something with one of these guys where you could bring him in and give him a two year deal? And maybe on the back end of that two year deal, you really have something like, I think that there's, cause we're going to be talking about like, and forget about Drake May and Caleb Williams. Sure. We're going to be talking about JJ McCarthy and yep. Quinn Ewers and and Michael Penix and Bo Nix and, and Jaden Daniels is going to be super interesting. Right. And we're going to be talking about all these guys like, Oh yeah, they're definitely going to make it as starters, and the numbers tell us they won't. Right. And so I think there's like a real nature versus nurture thing that we may be able to see play out with the 21 quarterbacks based on what happens with them. If you had, just reading the tea leaves and situation, if if I was going to take a flyer on any of those 2021 guys, it would be Justin Fields. Yeah, just because he has one elite skill that we know you can build around, and then he, he can throw the ball. And it's so funny because you talked about this, but like I remember being on Titus's pod a couple months ago, and he was like. You know, Ohio State fans are like, wait, he runs and doesn't throw? Like, what the hell? Like, what's going on here? So, like, yeah. we know there's a floor there, and I'd like to see him not in the Chicago Bears ecosystem. 
Yeah, and I, I what Ryan Day would tell everybody who would I think you could even see it the other night, right? Like there was a throw he made to Cole Komet over the middle where I mean it was a casino blitz, right? Like and everyone's coming and Justin takes like two steps back and just he knows where his receiver is and he and he pops it over the line to Cole Komet and he looked cool, calm, and collected in that moment. And I think like even a even a couple months ago. Like he's ducking and covering and like he's eating that ball, you know, and what Ryan Day would tell everybody who would listen is he just needs to play. Yeah. And because of the coaching changes, because of the injuries, a lot of that's been sabotaged, but he needs what like it's really hard for a team to give him which is just playing time yeah. and just let him ride it out. I mean, we're seeing that with Jordan Love now, right? Matt LaFleur has never wavered, right? It's They're sticking with Jordan Love. And he knows, like, Jordan just needs to accumulate things he's seen. Like, he just needs to accumulate a library in his head of, okay, I've seen this, now I'm going to do this. I have an answer for this because I saw this a couple weeks ago. And, um, yeah, I think that that's, that was like what Ryan Day always said about Justin. It's what he told all the teams about Justin was he just needs to play. He just needs to play. He needs to learn a system. He needs to play. You need to give him time um, because he can get there because he's a good enough kid. He's tough. He He's a hard worker. He'll do all of that. And so that's the problem Justin's going to have Yeah, is like, is somebody willing to give him that right. time? You know, and I don't know. I don't know if you're not investing a first round pick in the guy, if, if you are willing to give a guy the time that Justin might need to get there. Because I, I do think if you gave him time, like if the Bears stick with him through the end of the year, and then those guys survive and they're with them again next year. Look, I think you could have something. All right, we'll get you out of here on this coaching carousel. You mentioned Bill Belichick having a guaranteed job in 2024. Is there in your mind a natural fit? Because I, I go back to, okay, the Chargers mm-hmm. would fit, but the Spanos family want to give that kind of money to a guy who's going to command it. Um, would David Tepper want to turn over his franchise to a guy like Bill Belichick? I don't know. That might solve a couple mm-hmm. of his problems. Is there a natural fit if the, uh, if the, <laughs> what seems inevitable conclusion in New England happens? I mean, I thought the most natural fit, like, and you're going to laugh at this was Dallas. Yeah. Um, but like, I, you know, I think we can stop talking about Dallas now because Mike McCarthy's done a really good job this year and deserves credit and they're going to be in the playoffs and that job's not going to be open. Am I, I don't think right now. So I would say, um, you know, Washington to me is interesting because they have some defensive pieces and like it's, there's obviously a geographic thing, which he's from, you know, he's effectively from Annapolis, grew up 45 minutes away from there. It's a historic franchise. I also think for guys like Tepper and, um, and Harris getting Bill Belichick's a credibility play for them. Right, like where, and like it gives you, you a buffer. It, it gives you a buffer. And you say, "Well, I hired Bill Belichick, and you told me to do this, right. so you look like a, a better owner." Right, and it's like it's it's sort of like when Shad Khan had yeah. messed it up fifteen times and then hires Tom Coughlin. Yeah. Right, like it's like when Steve Ross comes in the league and he's got Bill Parcells there. Right, like it's and those guys were in executive roles, but the reason you what about when Jimmy like Haslam that, hired Mike Holmgren for some reason? That wasn't Haslam, though. I don't think that was. Oh, that, Randy that was Lerner. Actually, that was Randy Lerner. Was Randy Lerner. Oh my god, that was actually Randy. That was Lerner's, a horrible idea. But I get, I get I it. I believe that was Randy oh Lerner's last stand. Yeah, his last stand. Right. Great. Good job, Randy. <laughs> um, but I do think like that. I I think that that like, I think that that whole thing like it, it's it's a credibility play. Yeah. And you know, I think if you're going to hire him, you have to have a team that's ready to win now. The Panthers just like. It seems like they they had that last year 
like if you take last year's roster, it's still a DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey and and Brian Burns oh with some God. contract left and Derek Brown and a healthier JC Horn. Like you look at like the Panthers a year ago and you would have said yes. Now, I don't know, man. Like they look like they might be a couple off seasons away, you know. And so the Commanders are the team where it's like I look at their roster and it's like it's not horrible, you know. I mean, now they 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 got rid of the ends and you're gonna have to replace them, but. You know, Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, if you think Emmanuel Forbes can play, maybe you got something there. Um, the offensive line needs work, but at the skill positions, you have Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson. Sam Howell at least can be a good stopgap, and you're going to have cap space. Yeah. So, and a high pick, you know, like, so I just, I think Washington's the one that still makes the most sense. Now, the Chargers make a ton of sense. Would Bill move across the country? Would the Spanoses pay him? Right. Those are the two questions. You know, the Chargers make a, a, a sense for a million different reasons. And if they're looking to make a, if they're again like looking for um, relevance, I yeah. guess would be the right word in Los Angeles in a market where it's really tough to get relevance, is this like the Lakers hiring Phil Jackson? Right. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, I, that to me would make some sense. I just, I don't know if Bill would want to go across the country. But the idea of it's fascinating um, and really, really fun. Like, you know, the idea that you could have Bill Belichick and Justin Herbert and all those guys on defense could get really interesting fast. Albert Breer, thank you so much. Enjoy your frozen mounds of dirt, buddy. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate you.